Today on Empowering Midlife Wellness, I'm talking about probably the most annoying side effect that we can get on hormone replacement, which is vaginal bleeding, why we get it, and most importantly, what to do about it, because for sure, we want that to stop. Hey, and thanks for joining me today. You know, I'm always talking about how great hormone replacement is, and for sure it is. But there's one really annoying side effect that happens frequently enough that I think it's really important to talk about, and that is uterine bleeding. So thank you to everyone who submitted questions about that because I've received a lot of them. In an out practice, about 5% of patients who start on hormone replacement do experience a little bit of vaginal bleeding, and that's super annoying. So I want to tell you first of all about why that happens, and then most importantly, how to make it go away, because for sure it's not okay to be bleeding after menopause. One of the best things about menopause is we don't have to deal with bleeding anymore. So for sure, it's something that we need to make go away. And to reassure you, if you are experiencing this, we can always make it go away. So just to backtrack a little bit, and we'll just remember a little bit of physiology about the way that our bodies work when we're exposed to these two really important hormones, estradiol and progesterone. If we go back in time to when we were having periods when we were fertile, as we all remember, we produced estrogen and progesterone in a cyclic fashion. It went up and down, maybe in not exactly 28 days, but around 28 to 30 days. The up and down of those hormones caused us to build uterine lining when the estrogen was high. And then after ovulation, we produced progesterone. That went up and then both hormones dropped if we didn't get pregnant and the uterine lining shed. So it was a constant process of growing the lining and then shutting the lining in response to ups and downs of those hormones. So just a little reminder. Now, if we imagine fast forward to being menopausal, let's just say we've been in a period of time where we've had zero of those two hormones for some time. Might've been three months or it might've been seven years, <laughs> but we've had none of those hormones in our system for a little while and we haven't been bleeding because the uterine lining has not been stimulated by either one of those hormones. Now we introduce those hormones back into our system. Now, remember, I like all three hormones, estradiol, progesterone, and testosterone, but testosterone does not have any effect on the uterine lining. So we're just not gonna talk about that one today. But let's just say you've had zero estradiol and no progesterone because you haven't been ovulating. And then we introduce those back into your system. Well, even when they're given in the appropriate doses, the uterus in some patients is gonna be like, wow, this is amazing, and start kind of waking up. So kind of like if you water a plant that hasn't seen any water for a while, you're gonna see some activity there in some patients. Now in a perfect world, and goodness knows it's not a perfect world, but in a perfect world, the amount of estrogen you receive and the amount of progesterone you receive will be completely balanced and the uterine lining will not grow and you won't bleed. And that's why about 95% of patients don't bleed, getting continuous estrogen and progesterone both every day in some form. Now, in some patients, because we're all different, our uterus might be more sensitive to those hormones than others. And the same amount of estrogen that I get or another patient gets who doesn't bleed might cause some uterine lining to grow. So remember, estrogen has a growth-like effect on the uterine lining tissue. So lots of estrogen or even a little bit of estrogen can cause some lining to grow. Now, if the lining grows, eventually it's going to shed. 
So if you've had some growth of lining because your uterus has been very excited about seeing this estrogen for the first time at some point, and it's usually a few months down the road into getting your hormone replacement started, you might see some bleeding. Now, rarely is it like a period. It's more often just spotting because little bits of that lining are just going to shed at different intervals. Because you're getting hormones all the time, you're never having an abrupt dip in your hormones that's going to cause all that lining to shed at once. You'll more often just see spotting. And because it's not all coming off at once, it can go on for a while. So it's super annoying having spotting that goes on for weeks. We don't want that. So let's just say this has happened. You started on hormone replacement, whatever form it is, could be a patch, a pellet, even oral estrogen, however you receive it. For whatever reason, your uterus was very excited about the estrogen and grew a little bit of lining. Now, a couple months has passed and all of a sudden you start spotting. Very frequently, you're going to panic because the first thing we think about is cancer. Well, the first thing I wanna tell you is don't worry about cancer because if you're on estrogen and progesterone together, your risk of uterine cancer is actually lower than if you weren't on anything at all because progesterone has an anti-cancer effect for uterine cancer. So we really don't worry about cancer. What I worry about is it's really annoying and I don't want you to be annoyed. So understanding how annoying it is, we can lower the level of terror about bleeding because it's very, very rare that it's anything to worry about if it's something that starts within the first few months of beginning hormone replacement, it's something to do with the hormone replacement. It's not cancer. No, we need to make sure, but I don't want you to worry. So let's say that happens and you call my office and, and, and this is what uh, we will tell you. Uh, the most likely reason for the bleeding is that your body is seeing a little bit too much estrogen and not enough progesterone. Even if you've been given the appropriate doses Sometimes our bodies absorb more than others. So we're going to talk to you about making sure that you're taking the progesterone correctly. Now, progesterone we give by mouth at night and it's absorbed best when you have food in your stomach. So if I talk to a patient and she says, oh, I forgot you told me to do that. I've been taking it in the morning on an empty stomach or I've been taking it six hours after dinner on an empty stomach. We're going to review making sure we take it when you've still got some food in your stomach. And that's usually within the first you know, couple of hours after you've eaten. Now, for most of us, that works out great because I take mine at bedtime, you know, a couple of hours after I've eaten dinner, and there's still some food there for the progesterone to absorb. But one reason we don't absorb progesterone correctly is because we're not taking it at the right time of day. So that could be a really easy thing to fix because if the uterus isn't seeing enough progesterone, the lining's going to grow unchecked and we're going to see some bleeding. Now, if you're taking it at the right time, we might increase the dose of progesterone because remember, progesterone has an opposing effect on the estrogen. It actually causes those endometrial cells, which are the, that's what we call the lining cells, to shrink. So if we get those perfectly in balance, hopefully we won't see any bleeding at all. And if a little lining has grown, the progesterone is going to prevent that from continuing. So we'll make sure you're taking it at the right time Make sure you're taking it, of course, because it doesn't work if you don't put it in your mouth. And then also perhaps increase it for a little while. Now that will almost always get the bleeding to stop. If it doesn't, the next thing we're going to do pretty quickly, and if it hasn't stopped within say four to six weeks, we're going to do an ultrasound. And we can do that anytime, but for sure we wanna do it within the first four to six weeks if bleeding hasn't stopped. 
Ultrasound's very useful because it can measure how thick that lining is. Now, a good rule of thumb is that if we're postmenopausal, the lining should be less than five millimeters. That means somewhere between zero and four millimeters. It's pretty darn thin. And with an ultrasound that goes inside the vagina, so most of us have had this done if we were pregnant um, or for other reasons, it's a small probe, it doesn't hurt, goes inside the vagina and it's able to measure the size of the uterus, look at the anatomy of the uterus, check for things like fibroids, polyps, other anatomic um, abnormalities, and then measure the lining, which if you think about a hamburger, the bun would be the uterine muscle and the meat in the middle would be the lining. So we're basically measuring how thick the meat in the middle is. And if it's less than five millimeters, we know for sure you don't have cancer, you don't have a polyp, there's not a fibroid in there. It's simply that the lining's got a little bit disorganized. And what I mean by disorganized is that in a perfect world, the lining would be all lined up like soldiers, everybody doing the same thing. <laughs> so nobody's growing, nobody's sloughing, everybody's just sitting still. But sometimes a little bit will grow, a little bit will slough off here and there, and that's when we get this disordered lining that can cause what we call atrophic bleeding, and it's, it's the most common type that we get with hormone replacement, and it's just super annoying. So we wanna get it back lined up by adjusting your hormones. So if the lining's less than five millimeters, we're good with just continuing to experiment with adjusting the hormones to get them right for you. And that almost always will get it to stop. Now, if it's more than five millimeters or five or more millimeters, doesn't mean you have to worry. Again, it's extraordinarily unlikely that you have cancer if you've been on estradiol and progesterone, but you might have something else going on that's benign, like just some benign lining that's grown and that's gonna be annoying and can bleed for a while, or a little benign polyp, or sometimes a little small fibroid, which are benign. Those can all be inside the uterine cavity and make that meat of the hamburger, so to speak, look thick. So if it is more than five millimeters, the first thing we're gonna do is a little in-office biopsy, and I've had one done. It's not my favorite thing. It hurts a little bit just for about 20 seconds. A teeny tiny catheter is put through the cervix. It's wiggled around for a few seconds just so that we can get a little piece of that tissue and send it to the pathologist. And they'll say, everything's benign. That way we can all sleep at night while we're thinking about what we're going to do next. Now, an in-office biopsy is not going to remove whatever was there. Remember, it's something that's measured greater than five millimeters or five or more millimeters. So it's still there. So we need to figure out a plan to get it to go away, even though we've reassured ourselves that it's not cancer. So if it doesn't stop pretty quickly, um, another step is to put a tiny camera into the uterine cavity, and that can be done in the office if your doctor has the ability to do that, or just with a little bit of sedation in an outpatient facility, really easy. Tiny little several millimeter camera goes inside the uterus. We can see if there's a polyp there, if there's a little fibroid that can be removed. If it's just benign lining, that can also be removed just to get the bleeding to stop so you don't have to deal with the annoyance. So again, the order of events would be try to adjust the hormones. If that doesn't work right away, ultrasound. If that shows the lining's a little bit thick, biopsy. And then perhaps what's called hysteroscopy, which is putting a little camera in there. And all of those things are super annoying. Who wants to go through any of that? Not me, but it does happen. Luckily, only about 5% of the time. Now, there are some more extreme measures that we can take to get bleeding to stop. 
for very rare patients where it's just kind of going on and we've all just had enough of it. And we don't wanna stop the hormones because you otherwise feel great. And we all know about the health benefits of continuing on your hormones. So rarely we can do a procedure called endometrial ablation. Now that's usually used for patients who are having heavy periods who are premenopausal. I actually had it done myself when I was in my early 40s. You may know about this already, but in an outpatient surgical setting, so with some IV sedation, a little device is put inside the uterine cavity. It's about the size of a pencil. There are different brands, but um, each one of them destroys the uterine lining, usually with heat, sometimes with cold, but gets rid of it permanently so that no lining can grow. So we're still getting the hormones, but there's no lining there to respond to the hormones so we don't bleed. So that's a really awesome procedure if we've confirmed that everything's benign and it's just really annoying and we can't get it to stop. But I would say I do that maybe once a year. We can almost always get it to stop just by adjusting the hormones. So most important thing to know, if you do start bleeding in the first few months of hormone replacement, please don't worry. It's super annoying and we really empathize with that because it's a pain. You weren't expecting it. It stains your clothes. It's embarrassing. The last thing we want is to bleed when we're postmenopausal. And then make sure you go through that workup carefully. This is one of the reasons I do not recommend getting hormone replacement from a doctor who doesn't know how to do those things because they're not going to be able to manage those side effects if they happen. And unfortunately, some patients might choose to stop their hormones or give up or, or God forbid, just put up with it, which I would not recommend. We need that to stop. You know, in the old days, not so long ago, actually, just maybe before I was in practice, hormones used to be given in a way that caused us to have a period every month. Now you can do that by just giving progesterone for half of the month instead of every day. Remember when the progesterone drops, that causes our period to start. So that would get rid of having annoying spotting and it would replace it with a predictable period. But who wants that? I don't know anybody who wants that, but if you are on that regimen, chances are your doctor is probably mm, 75 or older. It's not the wrong thing to do, but my preference is not to have a period and just take estrogen and progesterone every single day, not to stop it half the month so you bleed predictably. However, you know, maybe that's your option. If you want to do that, that's okay if that's something that you've chosen, but taking continuous hormone replacement, which is estrogen and progesterone every day. Remember, we're not talking about testosterone today because that does not have an effect on the uterine lining, but I recommend taking that too. Uh, and then just making sure that the balance is correct so that the uterine lining doesn't grow and making sure there's nothing anatomic inside the uterine cavity that could be causing bleeding because benign polyps, benign fibroids, those are little things that can respond to the estrogen and cause bleeding. They're not cancer, but they sure are annoying. And we wanna be happy and healthy and not put up with stuff that's annoying. So I hope you learned something today. Um, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share it with your friends, Keep the questions and comments coming about what else you'd like to hear about. And I look forward to seeing you next week.